There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Running Mate, a podcast for Brits about the US election. In today's episode, who is Joe Biden? God, can my dad drive a car. Oof. That's... Joe Biden, the Democratic presidential candidate, showing off his driving skills in a video posted to Twitter. It was one of the few occasions the former vice president has emerged from what people are calling his bunker. And given his habit of making a gaffe, you can probably understand why. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are you a junkie? What do you say? Yeah, not sure suggesting to a reporter he's a junkie is the headline you should be aiming for. But with Trump's handling of coronavirus continuing to be a disaster, is the key to Biden's route to the White House just to stay quiet and wait for Trump to implode? Say, come on, Donald. Come on, man. How many push-ups you want to do here, pal? Biden has, jokingly, challenged Trump to a push-up contest. Yep, a push-up contest. Only in America, folks as questions have been raised about the health of both men. But are people underestimating Biden? He's one of America's longest serving politicians and a man with a more interesting backstory than most. Or is he, like Hillary Clinton before him, the perfect villain for Trump's drain the swamp message? So, who is Joe Biden? Hello, uh, my name's Graham Demonick from HuffPost UK team. Uh, joining me today are two of my colleagues from the US. I've got uh, Kevin Robillard, a senior political reporter. Hello, Kevin. Hi, good to be with you. And Tara Golshan, a reporter covering the Biden campaign. Hello, Tara. Hi. So for anyone coming to the podcast for the first time, this is what we're trying to do. I'm a British journalist living and working in America And at HuffPost UK, we wanted to try and produce something that made sense of the US election. Uh, To do that, we've enlisted the help of some of my reporting colleagues from our American team. And this time around, we wanted to look at Donald Trump's rival for the presidency, Joe Biden. Um, Guys, can you give um, our listeners in the UK a bit of a kind of summary of who Joe Biden is? I think people will know him as Obama's vice president, but he has had a long career in American public life, going back to the 1970s. Um, Kevin, who, 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 is, who, who is Joe Biden in the, in the kind of broadest sense? Yeah, so Joe Biden is interesting because now he's very much, um, you know, one of the top adjectives people used to describe him as often old. But he actually started out, he was first elected, and he was one of the youngest people ever elected to the Senate. Right. He actually won the election at age 29, and you're not eligible to serve until 30, but he turned 30 in between, so he was eligible to be in the Senate. Um, and he's a, very much a creature of the Senate and of some of the older ways of Washington. Uh, he grew up politically in a time where politics was more bipartisan, 
where um, the Senate was a very clubby place, very much dominated by white men, which isn't to say it isn't dominated by white men today, but even more so, um, and very much dominated in particular by Southern white men, right. uh, a place that was much more conservative than you would see in the Senate today. And he's also, the other major fact about him is that he's had a life that was really shaped by tragedy. Uh, shortly sure. after he got elected to the Senate, uh, his wife and one of his young children died in a car accident uh, that left him a single father raising two sons. Um, he later remarried and had another daughter. Um, and then more recently, one of those sons, Bo Biden, who had been uh, Delaware's attorney general and was very much following Joe into public life, uh, died of brain cancer. Um, and so he's really had these sort of two tragedies bookend his political life that's made him a very sympathetic figure to many and are very, um, you know, people have said empathy is Joe Biden's superpower. Right. Uh, that's something he really uses to connect with voters. Tara, what do you think? Something I think that happened in between that is that he became vice president to Barack Obama. And um, he, he kind of became Barack Obama's side uh, right-hand man um, for eight years and kind of cultivated this um, kind of buddy relationship and persona with Barack Obama and has benefited from that that friendship immensely since and kind of uh, rebranding his image in, in public life. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've always kind of wondered what what really kind of a vice president kind of is there, is there to do. I mean, they don't necessarily have a department to run or a big budget or levers to, levers to pull, but they certainly have a kind of stature and 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 uh, are, are in are in the public eye. Does that does that help Biden significantly when he's going when, as a Democrat candidate when he's going up against an incumbent president, which is typically quite a difficult thing to do, is to dislodge your incumbent. Do you think that's a significant advantage he has than certainly the other candidates or, or Hillary Clinton before him? Yeah, I mean, look, I think. A lot of people who have run for president before, I, I think, for example, this was a question asked of Barack Obama in 2008, was, is this person prepared to be president? And that's particularly the case because Obama had only been in the Senate for a short period of time. He hadn't been a national political figure for that long. No one is really asking that of Joe Biden, which is just, that's one fewer hurdle for him to get over in the mind of a voter. Um, and so I think that matters quite a bit. Um, and you're right, the vice presidency is... Um, a very, very strange job. Um, at times, particularly, I think, in the first half of the, cent of the 20th century, rather, um, the vice presidency was seen as really a terrible job. Um, the, the most uh, famous description of it is the vice presidency isn't worth a bucket of war piss. I don't know <laughs> and starting really with Al Gore and then Dick Cheney and Biden, right. uh, who have been the last three presidents, Al Gore was given specific portfolios Cheney was probably the most powerful vice president in history under George W. Bush, um, who influenced just a lot of influence over the federal bureaucracy. Biden very much, and I think this is the role he imagines Kamala Harris will have, Biden was very much simply Obama's top advisor. The way he said it was he was always the last person in the room with Obama. And I think under the Trump administration, something that we saw maybe early on um, was if they're going to push big policy ideas, the vice president does have this power to come in and cast a vote in a in a split Senate. Um, and, and I think that's something maybe Joe Biden could see um, his vice president also having a role in, especially if, if they do pursue these kind of bigger agenda items that they're campaigning on. And, and, and Tara, what, what, what are Biden's 
politics. I mean, broadly, people in the UK would understand him as being a centrist or moderate. I mean, choose your choose your terminology. Um, is that is that is that kind of broadly broadly fair, or is he more? I, I sometimes wonder if he was a, and I think about this is a case with maybe a number of Democrat politicians on the on on the right. Is they might even be in the Conservative Party if they were in the if they were in the UK. I think he would proudly call himself a moderate, and in fact, in in recent weeks, his his wife actually did proudly describe him as a moderate. Um, his career in the Senate very much so was that bipartisan dealmaker. He had a lot of friends on the Republican side of the aisle. He he really did pride himself in kind of uh, working to the center of the ideological spectrum in American politics. Um, and in, in a large part, he was picked uh, for as the vice president to Barack Obama because of that history, because um, Barack Obama was very much so painted as this radical coming in, um, and Biden was this moderating force for the ticket. Uh, but obviously, in American politics, it's the Democratic Party has shifted immensely to the left, um, especially in the last four years. And I think we're seeing Biden recognize that his platform is much more progressive than I think he would have run um, four years ago if he had run for president. Just a quick one. When you hear that sound, I'm pausing the chat to explain a bit of American jargon or a historical reference that the guests have brought up, just so it makes more sense to someone listening in the UK. We now enter the murky world of political terminology. In American politics, you'll hear phrases bandied around such as conservative, leftist, centrist, liberal and radical. Words that either mean nothing in the UK or don't have the same intent. Take Joe Biden. He described himself as being on the centre-left of American politics, so you'd maybe put him in the Labour Party under Tony Blair. You'll hear him often described as a moderate. But it's not that clear-cut. Biden doesn't support a policy called Medicare for All, which is in effect the state providing healthcare and is seen as the closest thing America could have to a national health service. It's worth noting on this that even the most right-wing parties in Europe support this basic welfare safety net. So it seems curious that a politician on America's left wouldn't. That's perhaps for another day. So what else does Biden stand for? Well, Biden's reputation for being tough on crime comes from his involvement with a controversial 1994 crime bill. This was a piece of legislation he largely wrote in response to decades of rising crime. Criminal justice campaigners say it's responsible for the mass incarceration of black people. Biden today says his record has been grossly misrepresented. He also championed and voted for the Iraq war, but now says the conflict was a mistake. He's also backed multiple pieces of legislation deregulating the banking industry, and he supported welfare cuts in the 1990s. Make no mistake, he's no darling of the left. But the platform he's standing on today is more left-wing, or progressive, or liberal, as Americans would call it, than his history suggests it should be. Biden is proposing a substantial expansion of the welfare state, he makes positive noises on tackling climate change, and he even backs modest police reform. Overall, Biden's positions show he's a politician driven by pragmatism rather than a commitment to a specific ideology. And I think we're seeing Biden recognize that. His platform is 
much more progressive than I think he would have run um, four years ago if he had run for president. Uh, certainly more progressive than past presidential runs that he has uh, attempted in the past. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing that pressure, but at the same time, he's he's no Bernie Sanders. He's no, um, he's not on the left wing of the party and he has no intention of, of being there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been interesting in talking in the past um, few weeks about two progressives about how they sort of plan on influencing Biden. Um, Biden has always been a guy who's wanted to be in the center of the Democratic Party. Um, Joe Biden's primary political identity before he's, I think he would even describe, he would say, I'm a Democrat. Um, and for him, that means standing up for the little guy, standing up for the working class in broad senses. But I think it also means that if the party shifts, he will gladly follow the party. Um, and I think that's been, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch is whether or not the leftward shift of the Democratic Party that has really happened, um, you know, sort of started during the Obama era and has really accelerated during the Trump era. Um, Biden very much comes from an era before that and whether or not that leftward shift is able to influence Biden. Biden is not ever going to push the envelope, but if other people are pushing the envelope, he might follow them. And that's, inter- that's interesting. I mean, we're gonna, I want to come to that a bit later on, but there's this idea from the Trump campaign that they're trying to paint him as this wild socialist and this Trojan horse. How, Tara, do you think that's, that's, that's what they're trying to do? And, and w- will it work? It, it's funny because throughout the, the Democratic primary where op- there were two dozen candidates, a lot of times on the debate stage, they would get, they would spiral out into this, in this argument about whether or not they're debating two progressive issues and that, um, that would open them up to attacks. And there was all this hand wringing about whether or not they should focus on Medicare for all and the Green New Deal and whether that um, would, would weaken them um, in the face of Republicans. And they ended the Democratic voters ended up picking Joe Biden, who was clearly the moderate lane. And the Republicans regardless, still immediately launched into these attacks. Uh, it's it's funny as a reporter and observer uh, to see Joe Biden being called a radical socialist because he very much so is not that. Yeah, and I think they've been left with sort of this confused messaging where they don't quite know how to portray Biden. Um, you know, sort of the prime example of this is uh, earlier this summer at one point, um, in the Philadelphia media market, which is in Pennsylvania, a really key swing state in the election, the Trump campaign was simultaneously running ads uh, attacking Joe Biden for one of his signature policy achievements, which was a crime bill that passed in the 1990s that was really harsh, um, that is probably the number one uh, black mark on Biden's record in the eyes of progressives, basically saying Joe Biden you know, was unfairly locked up you know, black people in a way that where they were trying to sort of suppress the black vote. And then at the same time, they were running ads saying Joe Biden wants to defund the police and isn't tough enough on crime. So they're simultaneously saying he's too tough on crime and not tough enough. And it's just they've let they're being left with these very confused messages. And part of this is just look at this point in the polls. And I'm sure the Trump campaign's internal polls show similar things. um, Biden is winning and Trump has problems not only with swing voters, but he also still has some problems with his base voters aren't pleased with how he's handled the coronavirus either. And they're just sort of flailing about looking for a line of attack that might stick. Yeah, I did wonder if one of the lines of attack would be ordinarily his habit of making a gaffe uh, a mistake. I think even in the rare occasions you've seen him getting 
airtime and doing high profile interviews, he does seem to have a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. One of the things you soon learn about Joe Biden is his habit of making an unforced error, and he knows it. I'm a gaff machine, Biden said in 2018, but my God, what a wonderful thing compared to a guy who can't tell the truth. There's no prizes for guessing who he's talking about. One of the most intriguing missteps came in 1987, during his first of three presidential bids. Biden's campaign prematurely came to an end when it emerged that the phrases within some of his speeches were strikingly similar to those uttered by Neil Kinnock. And I started thinking as I was coming over here, why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university? Why am I the first Kinnock in a thousand generations to be able to get to university? Yes, that Neil Kinnock, the former Labour Party leader. Here's a fun fact. Biden is only one year older than Kinnock, who last ran to be Prime Minister in 1992. Anyway, take a listen to the Kinnock and Biden speeches side by side. Plagiarism? No, it's not because they weren't as smart. It's not because they didn't work as hard. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. Does anybody really think that they didn't get what we had? because they didn't have the talent, or the strength, or the endurance, or the commitment, of course not. It was because there was no platform upon which they could stand. But the man in the top job at the moment has kind of mastered that, that, that ability. So how much of an issue do you think that, that is for, for Biden? I think even in the rare occasions you've seen him get, getting um, uh, airtime and, and um, doing high-profile interviews, he does have a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. So there's sort of, I think there's sort of two separate but related things here. One is sort of this long-standing Biden problem of putting his foot in his mouth. Um, famously, on the day he launched his presidential campaign, way back in 2008, he said a bunch of things about Barack Obama, where he was, you know, said Obama was very articulate, a bunch of sort of, uh, you know, statements that were loosely implying that typically black people aren't articulate. Um, And Biden quickly apologized for those. Obama basically forgave him on the spot. And Joe Biden's campaign trips kept going on. Joe Biden has always had a tendency to somewhat put his foot in his mouth. And you'll still see this. And most of the time now, it's interesting, it seems to happen when he gets, Biden, particularly when you can criticize the Obama administration's record, Biden will get very defensive. And that can be when he tends to put his foot in his mouth. Um, There's a separate problem, though, of Biden now, and this probably has something to do with him getting older. He'll just sort of misspeak or, you know, stumble over his words. And the Trump campaign has tried to take those clips of him misspeaking and really highlight them and say, look, this guy's senile. You can't trust him. And that is, you know, very much people would say the exact same thing about Donald Trump at this point. Yeah, it's hard. Um... Biden's health generally how how wild does it get I haven't I haven't seen or heard anything specifically about about his health uh, beyond that I mean he has had health issues that I think have been in in the public space for a very long time I think he had them when he was um, being vetted for the vice presidency uh, uh, for the Obama administration so 
we just haven't seen the effect of it thus far. And I would say one thing Biden has done is he'll emphasize his physical fitness, which for a man of his age, he does seem to be in good physical shape. Uh, fairly early on in the primary, one of our colleagues at the HuffPost DC office, Igor, Igor asked Joe Biden, um, you know, are you going to release your health records? And his response to Igor, who is, you know, in his early 30s, was, you know, I'll challenge you to a push-up contest right now. Yes. Um, and that's, that's sort of, Biden will sort of adopt this macho tone to be like, look, I'm in shape, I'm fit, I can do the job. Um, and so far, it's more or less been effective for him in sort of combating some of those things. I, I, I love the push-up challenge more than any other thing in American politics. I think he offered Trump the same. I believe he did. Yeah. Trail. How many how many push-ups do we do we understand Biden's able to do? Do you think is I believe it's, it's at least dozens. He he is there it? is some number he does every day, I think. Um but they, they've talked a lot about his workouts. <laughs> One occasion he did emerge from his basement was to record a, a video for Twitter, I think exclusively, and probably went elsewhere. But of him messing about with cars and driving, um, driving a Corvette, I believe. Um, I just want to play people uh, uh, listening in the UK that clip because um, I enjoyed it immensely. So we'll hear that now. I didn't get a chance to flat shift in the second. I was afraid I'd go through those guys. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, we're talking about cars and what car you'd like to see come back. I love this car. Nothing but incredible memories. Every time I get in, I think of my dad and Bo. God, can my dad drive a car. Oof. Biden seems like a easy politician to, to kind of mock. What are his, what are his qualities as, as, as a candidate? It's quite easy to look at his weaknesses, but why, why, why... Why is he going to appeal to a, to a country? Why would why is he going to be president if indeed he is? Tara, do you want to have a pop at that one? Sure. I, I think something that I heard very early on in the primary cycle was that people were kind of yearning for experience, um, that there was this overwhelming feeling among the Democratic electorate um, that there is a high level of incompetence at the White House right now and at the administration, um, that they just want someone to be able to run the ship um, in a way that they don't have to worry about every day. And I think that was kind of Biden's pitch during the primary is that he knows how to do this. Um, and it, it's, it's understandable um, after four years of constant chaos um, that that was appealing to, to Democrats. Um, and I think there was also this overwhelming desire for someone that was quote unquote electable. Um, and I think Biden having been in the white house, um, having been someone who kind of like looks like someone who's been president before um, made him have an easy, easy pick for, for voters. I find that an interesting comparison between Biden and, and kind of Clinton in a way, as much he's, they're both kind of figures that were Hillary Clinton, I should say. They were both kind of figures who are well known for for, for many years in American politics, and that seems to have been what worked so well for the Trump campaign in in twenty sixteen is to to paint Hillary Clinton as part of the part of the, the swamp that needed swamp that needed draining. I would be wary of comparing kind of Hillary Clinton's 
um, swamp creature attacks to to the possibility of Joe Biden being um, attacked like that, just because Joe Biden really uh, like cultivated this kind of like working man's image, um, kind of being on the side of like the trade unionists, um, the the guy that would take the train from Washington to Delaware every day to take care of his kids. He, yes, has had just as long, if not longer, a career in Washington um, as Hillary Clinton did, but she got hit for, for being kind of this elitist um, in the way that Joe Biden has not, even though he's obviously in the same social class and, and social circles as, as she has been. We'll come back to Kevin and Tara later, but I've also spoken to Jeff Hauser, a democratic strategist who runs the anti-corruption The Revolving Door Project. He explains why Trump continues to describe Biden as a socialist and how, despite everything, American politics is actually moving to the left. So, Jeff, as a democratic strategist, what do you make of Trump's campaign portraying Biden as a, as a, as a socialist? I mean, Jeremy Corbyn is a socialist. Bernie Sanders might be a socialist, but Joe Biden doesn't seem to be. Is, what, what's, what, what's at play here? I think in the U.S., the word socialist doesn't have any sort of fixed, defined meaning, not that it's probably agreed upon by all players in the U.K. or Western Europe. But in America, it's a particularly nebulous term. I think that in the United States, when used as a term of derision from the right, socialism means extremist, and it probably means too closely tied to people of color. And so I think, especially to the extent to which it resonates in a negative way for on behalf of Trump and against Biden, it's essentially meaning that he is too close to black people. Um, that's right. horrifying, but I think that's how Trump means it. Do you think that has any chance of resonating with the American public, this, this idea? I think it has some chance of resonating. I mean, Trump does not have a very plausible path to winning uh, polarity of voters, let alone a majority of voters. But what Trump is shooting for is essentially the election to be close enough that in the chaos, the incumbent in the uh, occupying the White House can take advantage of that tumult and hold on to power. So I, I think that his aspirations are low enough that this strategy, which I don't think is a normal winning strategy in American politics and a democracy where the majority rules, I don't think it would be a winning strategy, but I think there is possibly, if you squint enough, a narrow path for it to work in the states that he needs to keep close enough for chaos to allow him to steal the election. So it's worrisome. It's also just a question of for how long will the encouraging signs in American public opinion about Black Lives Matter, for how long will they continue Essentially, can uh, Trump and Fox News and other right-wing media forces bring about enough of a backlash to uh, protest for racial justice that Biden is in trouble? And, and, and how, how, how progressive is, is Biden, do you think? I mean, he certainly seems to have been, he certainly claims to be running on a platform that's the most progressive since the 1940s. Is it? Is it, is it at all something for leftists to be, to be excited about? 
I, I think there's a, a real glass half full or half empty nature to the Biden campaign. Part of it is because Biden believes maintaining strategic flexibility is his best option at this point. And so he is giving people for both corporate Democrats and socialist or social democratic Democrats, he's giving them equal measures of uh, ideas, appointments, and posturing to either be excited about or to be concerned by. So I think it kind of depends. I think that in the end, Joe Biden believes that if his legacy is that he was a relatively progressive president, that'll be a good thing for him. So in the long run, I think there is something to work with in terms of Joe Biden. I think he is more a figure of politics than of a fixed ideology. And so it's not like he has to be convinced on the merits to move uh, to the left of where he was. His view is that politics are moving that direction. I think he would want to see his legacy there. But I also don't think he need, he sees a need to ditch the people who moved the Democratic Party to the right in the 1990s um, and in the last couple of decades since. I, I don't know that he sees the need as starkly as those of us on the left do. So I think it's complicated. Is, 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 is Biden's position a legacy of having to, 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 to kind of move to the left because of, of Bernie Sanders? Is this, is this kind of Bernie inspired? I think Bernie played a big role. I think it's also to some extent the fact that if you look at the arc of Biden's career, he got elected in a big surprise in the early 1970s in a Delaware that was uh, very much a swing state, a somewhat southern state culturally on race, um, and a state that's long been dominated by the DuPont family and corporate interests. And he was doing so in an era of Republican and conservative ascendancy. American politics on economics moved consistently to the right from the early 1970s through uh, well into George W. Bush's years. Uh, but in the last 15 years, I think American politics have started uh, shifting to the left. I think that the financial crisis and Occupy Wall Street movements played a big role. I think Bernie Sanders accelerated um, that transition. And I think that Biden as vice president was more progressive than Biden as senator. Uh, some of that was getting out from Delaware and becoming an, a truly national figure. And Delaware is a state with a pretty captured Democratic Party, a party captured by corporate elites. And so I think he's been on this movement. I think he's aware of national trajectory. He's had his own personal story. And I think this is he is going to be more legacy oriented from day one, if inaugurated, than any president before, because he's literally going to be on day one, the oldest president in American history. And is, is, is this kind of shift to the left over the last 15 years, as you say, in, in American politics, is that more reflected further down the ticket in some of the candidates that have won primary uh, elections and are standing for, for, for Congress? in November. Yeah, there is a lot of overlap between Biden primary voters and people who have chosen fairly left candidates down ballot. And I think that that reflects that Biden won the primary not on an overtly ideological basis, but rather on an electability basis upon the perception that his traditional biography and relatively traditional views were what is necessary to um, beat a rising fascist tendency in American politics. Right. And so I, I think Biden um, has the benefit of voters who are well to his natural left. And I think he is moving in that direction. I think the number of American voters who are OK with the traditional Democratic Party is very low right now. You have 
instead Republicans on the one hand, and then you have a insurgent progressive wing within the Democratic Party that's increasingly ascendant within the Democratic Party. And you have this odd scenario in which you have this series of extremely old leadership, um, be it Biden or Pelosi or Hoyer or Clyburn, the head of the House Democrats, and even to some extent Schumer, who runs the Senate Democrats, are all between 69 and 80 years old. And I think they are not where the bulk of the Democratic Party is right now. Is it is it exciting sign to be a progressive then in in America or or is that reading too much into it? I mean, it's simultaneously exciting and nerve wracking because <laughs> right. uh, I I think that uh, if you look at polling over the last month, Trump should be in increasing trouble and he very much is not, and I think that should be very worrisome. I think Biden's running a very protect the lead strategy and it's not clear that that is the best path in a scenario in which we don't have a lot of reason to be confident that the election is going to be administered in a fair way. You would think that Biden would be trying to shoot for a landslide and that he's neither shooting for it overtly, nor is he achieving one. Just to wrap up the show uh, with Kevin and Tara, I wanted to change gear a little. Thanks for that, guys. I wanted to make a bit of a handbrake turn away from Joe Biden and ask you some, um, I guess, kind of what might appear to be dumb questions from a dumb British person. In this case, it's me. And if you can do your utmost to humor me, I'd appreciate that. So what's the one thing about Biden that has surprised you? I'm kind of stumped just because I've known everything about him for so long that I'm not surprised by him anymore. Um, Do you think UK listeners know that of his love of ice cream? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Joe Biden loves ice cream. Like, literally, like, he multiple times while campaigning in Iowa would, like, stop his, like, campaign motorcade and pull off to the side and they would go get Dairy Queen. Uh, which is, okay. Do they have Dairy, do you have Dairy Queen in the UK? No, no, no. no. But I, uh, ice cream chain. Um, okay. And it is, um, Biden does not drink. Um, and it's oh, often okay. thought that sort of um, ice cream is his replacement vice, so to speak. Okay. Uh, he absolutely loves ice cream. If you look at sort of the Biden Instagram or whatever, there's lots of photos of Joe Biden holding uh, an ice cream cone. I think it's a daily, it's a daily thing for him. Yeah, or nearly daily, if not daily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Will AOC ever be president? I think she's. I'm gonna one. make a bet that I think she will run one day. She will run. Yeah, I'll say yeah. she'll, she'll. She will almost certainly run one day. Um, whether or not she wins, because partially I think the day she runs is going to be pre- still pretty far off. I think that's probably still at least a decade away, right? Yeah. Um, so it'll be very hard to know what's where the Democratic Party is then. Because I didn't know you have to be 35 to run. Yeah, she's not even I eligible think... right now. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't think she'll run against, presumably if Kamala is running in 2024, I don't think she will run against Kamala then. Okay. Interesting. Um, is there any point to the vice president's debate? um it gave it it's given us some memorable moments um famously a word that joe biden is very fond of this maybe is another fun joe biden loves the word malarkey um which is a very old-timey phrase that um 
I don't know if it's used in Britain, but basically, I think, yeah, I think so, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he accused Paul Ryan of being full of malarkey in 2012. Okay. Um, and then Biden and Sarah Palin's debate was also sort of very well watched just because of how fascinated everyone was with Sarah Palin at the time in 2008. Um, and I think, I don't think this debate between Harris and Pence will be quite as well watched. Um, nothing really of interest happened in the 2016 debate between uh, Kane and Pence. So I mean, I, 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 I do remember Tim Kane kind of choking a little bit. Like Pence yeah, kind of Kane came did off. not do well. Yeah. yeah, Kane did not do well. So that was kind of like the first like, uh-oh moment didn't he didn't he do a series of dad jokes i think that's kind of what i that's the only thing i can remember of tim kane is black with cotton socks is he was everyone's favorite dad yeah uh, that was that was the meme about tim kane he played the harmonica he he was a fun dad was what they were trying to go for with him great stuff ending on ending on a tim kane note there that's 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 (laughs) what everyone wants Thanks for joining me, Kevin and Tara, and thanks everyone for listening. And I hope we've learned a bit more about who Joe Biden is. I think it's clear Biden's strategy at the moment is slow and steady wins the race. We shouldn't expect fireworks, especially when they have a tendency to go off in his face. But that might change if the polls start to narrow and then more questions might be raised about his health. Next time, we'll be taking a closer look at the reckoning with race America is having and how that's reflected in the election campaign. Please do subscribe now for more episodes and make sure you check out HuffPost UK's other podcasts, including Commons People, our weekly look at UK politics. They're all available in the usual places. Thanks very much and see you again. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.